This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. You know, the, the, the concept of working together doesn't mean you have to have some major disaster. Uh, that should be a norm in our communities. Hey, and welcome to Ian Weekly, and this is your host, Todd DeVoe speaking. And a couple of things are going on here. One is thank you all for uh, sticking here with us. We did transitioning from uh, one studio to another, and we're not quite up and running yet here. I'm sitting amongst or uh, moving boxes and and uh, things like that and it's exciting at one part um, we'll be uh, able to bring you uh, some deeper quality interviews with sound <laughs> not not the quality of the interviewee but just definitely the sound and we're working on that and this has been a learning experience for me through this whole process and thank you for learning with me and uh, and sticking with Ian Weekly so I am your host and I am here for you. So it's my pleasure to bring to you two guests. One is Steve Heidecker and the other one was Tanya Hoover. And Steve um, Heidecker is from EMI and Chief Tanya Hoover is from the National Fire Administration. And as emergency managers, uh, we need to keep learning and these two individuals really lead the national training programs here. And I'm really excited to have them on here to talk about training, their ideas, and uh, some of the things that's happening in the future. And well, before I get into this interview, I want to take a little time to wish the United States of America happy birthday. You'll be listening to this episode uh, if you listen to it on a regular basis right after the 4th of July. This one should be landing on the 5th of July. And, you know, really excited uh, to be here in America for the opportunities that we have. And there are times when we can be better. We're growing, constantly growing. And I know that we strive for, for the best that we can possibly be. And this is really shown by all the people that want to live here uh, in the United States. And I know that we can do things better, but I think that our profession and the emergency responders um, that go out there uh, every day in the military and the teachers uh, really show what America really is all about and that it's service and giving of oneself. And I just want to thank you all that listen to this podcast because I know that you guys are all service-minded uh, people. And thank you for giving of yourself. And I know there's a lot of people that worked yesterday. I used to be out there on the 4th of July every year. And this year, I, I, I was blessed not to be have to, to work on the 4th of July. But uh, those of you that had to, I, I really understand. And I've been there for many years in a row. And uh, thank you for what you guys do out there on a, on a daily basis. Thank you for listening to the EM Weekly show, and again, I can't do this without you. If you guys have any, uh, any, any guests that you'd like to hear, or if you'd like to uh, comment, please do. Go to emweekly.com. You can uh, go ahead and find the forums there as well, or you can go to forums.emweekly.com, and, uh, and come check us out. I'd love to have you. So anyway, let's listen to what the NTC has to say. Hey, oh, I'm so excited today here on Ian Weekly to have uh, Steve Heidecker from 
EMI and Chief Tanya Hoover from the Fire Administration to talk about what their programs are up in the federal government side of things. So uh, Steve and Chief Hoover, welcome to Ian Weekly. Hey, thanks, Todd. Great to be here. Thank you, Todd. So Steve, I want to start with you really quick. Tell me just a little bit about yourself and, and how you got involved in emergency management and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, well, thanks, Todd. I think it'd be best to say that I'm a learning professional in the field of emergency management. So I came from a 20-year military career with a good understanding of exercises and training. And so when I uh, moved from that career field, I was interested in staying within that learning professional career field, and I found FEMA's Emergency Management Institute. So I've been here 10 years. I do consider myself a learning professional, but I also volunteer at my local county emergency management agency so I can better understand the training and exercising and the students that come to FEMA's EMI. So Chief Hoover, I, I know a little bit about your background and that you came uh, from the Golden State of California and our experience here obviously with the, with the wildfires and, and stuff. We've worked really close with your former agency, Cal Fire. So Chief, how did you get involved in Cal Fire and then up into where you are today? I actually started in the fire service as a volunteer. So uh, going back to my early days growing up in South Central Pennsylvania, I was a volunteer junior member and then had a chance to go off to college and, and uh, study fire protection. After college, had the opportunity to transition to the California Fire Service and uh, worked for a number of fire departments in plan review and uh, fire prevention awesome opportunity to go work for and with Cal Fire as the Assistant State Fire Marshal of California and then transition into the State Fire Marshal, which in that leadership role, even closer working relationship with local government and with Cal Fire, great organization, learned an extreme amount of information over the, the time that I spent there in California and with Cal Fire. It was a great opportunity. So Steve, back to you. So right now you're up over at the training side of it, the EMI. Tell me a little bit about the programs that you have going on over there and, uh, and what you have coming up and, and also some of the challenges that, that are associated with it. Yeah, well, thanks, Todd. I think the program that we're most proud of is our emergency management professional program, and I know you're familiar with that, but really that's how we are contributing to the professionalism of emergency management. We have our basic emergency manager academy. That really is for that person who's new in the career field, uh, zero to three years. They come for our uh, basic academy. We also have the advanced academy for someone who's been in the career field for a while and is supervising other people. They would come to the advanced academy. And then final is our executive academy that we hold. And that's for those career leaders who have to think strategically and make strategic decisions. So we're most proud at this point of our emergency management professional program. But that's not the only program that we have. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with the Master Exercise Practitioner Program, Master Public Information Officer Program. But then we have some really good training on floodplain management, tribal training, continuity of operations, and then our uh, National Incident Management System training. If we're looking at collective training, then we're most proud of our integrated emergency management courses, those community specifics like we've done for the city of Las Vegas or Tuscaloosa. Those are courses that we bring in 75 government employees or private sector for that jurisdiction. We bring them here to Emmitsburg and put them through an exercise-based training course to prepare them for the threats and hazards that they would face within their jurisdiction. We've started to get our foot wet into 
uh, you know, virtual tabletop exercises, uh, webinars, podcasts. And so we're really expanding our footprint uh, moving into a, a distance learning environment. And then finally, I really do want to give a shout out to our independent study program. Those are the online awareness level courses that you can take free of charge from FEMA. We get about 2 million course completions a year on that. And that really does help build a culture of preparedness, as the administrator talks about. Chief Hoover, I want to just kind of jump on the, the culture of preparedness and, and what what you guys are doing over the fire administration. And I know that we have some, I don't want to say rules, but some ideas and regulations that are coming out from the fire administration that kind of has in some impact on emergency management. And uh, talking about the, and maybe you guys are, are such, the, the NFPA 3000? Oh, uh, the National Fire Protection Association yeah. uh, new development standard on 3000, the active shooter standard that's actually yeah. part of the National Fire Protection Association. Right, right. Developed okay. that standard, right. So I, I know, and, and so things like this that are coming from the, from the fire side, how do you see the National Fire Academy, the National Fire Administration, I'm sorry, working with emergency management on programs like the NFPA 3000 and really crossing those bridges between fire, EMS, police, and emergency management? Well, I think it's important to recognize that the National Fire Academy, located here at the National Emergency Training Center, it actually focuses on keeping those disasters or emergencies local. The uh, NFA actually using the leverage with our 50 state training partners, our uh, local government partners, universities, state fire marshals, we're able to take this training and, and you could say spread it out amongst the environment. Now with something, you're talking about something as specific as the NFPA standard 3000, which is a focus standard on an activity where it brought law enforcement and fire together for incidents such as active shooters. Again, that incident doesn't just impact fire service, it impacts a whole community. But it's very important that the fire service, police, and the whole community work collectively. And here at the National Fire Academy, one of the things that we do in our course, in a course here is the command and control. Within command and control is a scenario for active shooter, as well as any other large-scale disaster. And we are working uh, harder to collaborate stronger with our partners within EMI to be able to cross-pollinate classes, uh, cross-pollinate delivery systems, so that if uh, you're in our command and control class, you may have individuals, emergency managers from around the country come in and actually watch incident commanders operate within an environment such as an active shooter. At the same time, it gives them emergency operations uh, or incident commanders interact with city, county administrators and understand what their due diligence is during that type of an emergency. So it's really a collaborative effort. The national standard, you could say, uh, sets the stage. What we do here at the National Fire Academy is we take an individual that is in a position and we want to make them better at that position. So whether it is command and control premier fire investigation here at the academy, fire prevention, and something more broader, community risk reduction, which is a whole community approach. We want to make you better at that if you're in fire and emergency services and like professions. That's awesome. This is really good stuff. I'd like to see more collaboration uh, between fire, emergency management, and, and, uh, and law enforcement. I, I got to take a, a class just a couple weeks ago through TEEKS, 
uh, which really uh, was able to put the fire and police and EMS together in the same room, training through a, a virtual, like a almost like a video game, if you will. And it was really great training. And the best part about it, like anything else, was the ability to, to talk face-to-face with our partners in the, in the other disciplines to see really what they're doing. And so when game day comes down, that it's not like, oh, what's this person? You know, we have an idea of what everybody's doing and be able to collaborate earlier. So I'm really excited about um, that type of stuff. Chief Hoover, back to, back to you again. So what kind of training do you guys do at your facility? Well, the NFA provides education and training uh, to the nation's emergency responders. And the idea behind that education and training is to meet not just current, but emerging community demands on their emergency providers. So we have areas such as hazardous materials, community risk reduction, fire arson detection, report writing, interview techniques, courtroom preparation. Our executive fire officer, which is our leadership, is a four-year program. It's a premier program known throughout the world. Our managing officer uh, program, also a premier program that is what I would consider fairly new. Uh, it's about four years old, five years old. We have an emergency medical services management. Uh, you were speaking about bringing EMS, fire, police together. And then we have our fire prevention, fire protection systems for the built environment, both fire prevention from a technical standpoint and then fire prevention from a management standpoint. We deliver many of our courses both on campus, off campus, and online. We are expanding our online platform. Uh, part of our expansion includes the wildland urban interface and the situations surrounding the wildland urban interface. So our goal here is to provide a learning environment that can either be done on campus, off campus, through leveraging our state partners, or online. That's great. I mean, and like that, anything that can get more training out there and quality training, because I, as you know, Obviously, this large uptake in, in uh, Mother Nature deciding to play, you know, that they really, she really wants to uh, show us what she can do. With You got volcanoes in Hawaii, you got flooding in Maryland, you have another flood coming behind us. That, you know, once we start taxing um, our local resources, we're starting to bring in people quickly from around the nation. Wildfires, you know, obviously California is always used to that, and the, and the, and the Western states uh, have a lot of uh, interaction with other agencies from around the country and in the nation or the international too with people coming up from Mexico, from Canada to help out with these fires. So what can we do better to prepare our partners for working together interagency wise? Yeah. So I, I, what I would say, Todd, is that uh, what we need to do is share the case studies of where they are working well together. And, uh, and we just had a symposium this past week where we had a speaker from uh, Las Vegas fire department, who talked about the massacre that occurred in Las Vegas and just how the, the agencies of law enforcement, police, the emergency management community, and all the organizations that fall underneath that umbrella work together in the response and then continue to work together in the short and long-term recovery of that. So I think by uh, capturing those uh, best practices and talking about them within our training, we're, we're demonstrating where an integrated approach is the is the most optimal, the most efficient approach. Absolutely. The sharing of information is critical and breaking down silos and recognizing that not one entity has responsibility or can do it alone. So again, every disaster is local. We want to keep them local. That means that the local resources have to be prepared to handle that emergency 
before, during, and after. And here at the NATC, I think what we strive to do is to make sure that we cross-pollinate both worlds. Yeah, I think that's uh, like super important for us to cross-pollinate. You know, one of the things as an emergency manager, and what I like to say is that, and I teach my students as well, is our number one job as emergency managers in a disaster is the coordinate portion of it. You know, we, we're able to talk fire, we're able to talk law, we're able to talk EMS, we're able to coordinate those, all those resources coming in and to be able to respond for the, for the greater good and for that one mission of saving lives and property uh, during a disaster. And you've seen a lot of cross-pollination in emergency management here on the West Coast. Are, are we seeing the same thing um, on the, the East Coast and the, and the Midwest and the South and the rest of the country? Well, I think there's always room for improvement. Some areas have built stronger relationships based on the fact that they've had to work closer together. Fortunately, they have seen more catastrophic incidents. And I shouldn't even say catastrophic incidents. You know, the, the, the concept of working together doesn't mean you have to have some major disaster. That should be a norm in our communities. You know, I think maybe, you know, coming from California, spending so much time in California, I mean, we just kind of got used to working together. But mm. that doesn't mean that there weren't always bumps in the road. And so I think that that still applies throughout the country, the bumps in the road. And, and I think what's really important is recognizing that that happens and that we need to drop that to the side, or as I like to say, leave your baggage at the door, and that we need to strive to work closer together, understand each other's roles and responsibilities, better prepare, because the bottom line is we're working as one for our communities. So, Todd, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll add to that. The FEMA Administrator, Brock Long, talks a lot about the FEMA strategic plan and how it uh, should be considered at the state and local level. And Brock talks a lot about federally supported, state-managed, locally executed. And so that cross-pollination it not be, may not be what we typically think of, but certainly those three uh, levels of government working together really help build a more prepared and resilient nation. So that's a cross-pollination that comes to mind first for me. And it's important for local government to understand how to interact with state government, state government to understand how to interact with federal government, because there are nuances across all of those platforms. You have to exercise, you have to build those relationships. And I, you know, preparing your community for an incident and then being able to execute is based on relationships you built before, not during the incident. Yeah, that's really a good point. Thank you. I, Chief, I think that's going to answer my, my next question. I was going to ask, what can we do to break down those silos? And, and I really think that building that relationship is true. Like the old yeah. saying is, you don't want to change your exchange business cards in the back of the patrol car, right? <laughs> that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, another thing we can do is what uh, the administrator talked about, reduce the complexity of FEMA. So right. if it become less complex, if we could make our programs and systems uh, less complex, then many of those silence, silos would be broken down because people would be thankful. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that we do well, and I'm going to pat Orange County, California on, on the back a little bit, is we have an organization that every month all the emergency managers in the county get together, whether it's a special district, municipal, uh, even, even by private as well, uh, to come to this meeting. And it's a lot of, again, it's a lot of uh, exchange of business cards there uh, before the disaster happens. And when we do have an event, we all back each other up and, and respond to each other's EOCs when needed. And the cool part about that, too, is you have the people that are emergency managers by collateral duty, right? You have the firefighters and police officers for certain jurisdictions that are uh, doing EM stuff. 
and are able to learn from the emergency management professionals. Um, and again, on, on game day, we all know each other's names and, and we share each other's uh, personal phone numbers and, and stuff like this. So I, I love the idea of, of collaborating um, at this level. And I think that if we do this nationally, that when we have these big events like in, in Texas, like we had a couple of years ago, that, uh, that we're able to um, work closer together. What can we do as a discipline to really do more collaboration work um, across the borders? So, well, it, you mentioned Orange County, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out uh, to Chief Fennessy. And, and there's an example of an individual that has built relationship across county lines, across state lines, and doing that means inter- interacting with each other, you know, attending, you know, national platform conferences, uh, podcasts, keeping up on what's the latest and greatest that's going on both locally, state, and then what's happening within FEMA. You know, really, again, building those relationships on any given day, you may need somebody's help. Yeah, Todd, and I think FEMA's putting, you know, their words into action with the implementation of the FEMA integration teams. Uh, North Carolina got the fourth, they're the first FIT team or FEMA integration team, and that's where full-time FEMA employees are embedded with the states and work with the states. And really, that'll help uh, really states manage the disasters, have a better relationship with FEMA. So I think in that case, we're really putting our money where our mouth is. Yeah, you look at things like USART teams. There's a conglomeration or a group of individuals, multi-tasks, but specially focused that are not just limited to one area and their ability to travel and help throughout the country, throughout the world. Uh, you look at incident management teams, whether they're at a local level, they're at a, you know, a larger state level, and then the federal incident management teams. So those are all examples of cross-pollination, breaking down silos, willing to get the job done without any consideration of rank or you know, where they sit within an organization. And I think there's also a realization that under the national qualification system, uh, when you have a disaster that Im- impacts, say, the Southwest, and there will be resources available to you in the Northeast that, you know, under NQS, you can begin to uh, to use and leverage those resources. So I think that's exciting. That's as a result of the hurricane season last year. Mm-hmm. FEMA's really uh, emphasizing the national qualification system. And it's important for states to understand that system and people that work within those states to understand that system and how to access assets in the event of a, an emergency. Um, speaking of using assets, and, and I kind of want to just tap on this for a little bit, and, and Chief, I know you started out as a volunteer as well. How do you see using like national volunteer organizations like Team Rubicon or the American Red Cross, you know, Salvation Army, to name a couple, um, how do you see them being integrated into a national response framework? Well, they need to be. They have the ability to bring materials and individuals to an incident that you know a local government or a state government may not have access to right away. They're an important player. They need to be included in that uh, response model. But again, you can't have those conversations during the incident. Those are all the conversations and helping those folks understand the NIM system and uh, where they sit within the structure. Those are all conversations you have to have before. Because we all, we all know we can't do it by ourselves. 
Yeah, and I thought I would say it's also interesting from a training organization. We do these EMIE forums and we had uh, Team Rubicon on it recently to talk about how they've run their training programs to make sure that they're consistent with the National Incident Management System. So the VOADs also have some training resources. So if the state's holding training, integrate VOAD within them, but also you know, VOAD runs training and states can look to integrate themselves within that. And that's really important, too. I agree with you that uh, making sure that those organizations are on the same page um, as us. And I don't want to use the word credential, but to make sure that at least that they have the, uh, the same basic training that everybody else is responding with. Um, I want to kind of go back a little bit to the active shooter model. And again, kind of just tapping on the training that I just went through. We really worked a lot with the RFT as a rescue task force, uh, pairing police up with fire to go downrange to be able to start treating people in the, uh, the, the warm zone or, or the super hot, the super warm zone, I guess, for lack of a better term. <laughs> I know that there's been some really push of getting more training for law enforcement, uh, for the officers to have, to understand how to use tourniquets, how to do some blood stopping treatment uh, very rapidly and, and to move on. Do you see more training like this for the active shooter response with uh, from the national level. The answer to that question and more when we return from our break. Emergencies happen, whether they're related to medical emergencies, threats of physical violence, weather related or other. One of the most difficult things during an emergency is to find help and quickly and efficiently communicate with all parties, regardless of whether you're an administrator, law enforcement or the end user. With Titan HST, we help distort time by creating high-tech yet simple-to-use mobile-based applications that connect you with the people who can help you. At Titan HST, we believe in the power of people. The modern emergency manager wears lots of hats. So how do you also fit in the needs of your exercise program? It's just a matter of time. And how much is your time worth? A lot. TTX Vault is the answer to getting some of that time back. Pre-assembled tabletops, drills, and functional exercises are what they offer. Spanning NIMS, hospitals, and healthcare, special operations, and more. Exercises come from the archives of the Blue Cell. Get a jump start on your exercise program today and visit TTX Vault at www.ttxvault.com. Welcome back from that break, and thank you so much for listening to our sponsors. Without them, we couldn't really bring you uh, what we have. So check them out and let them know that you came from EM Weekly. Let's continue the interview. Do you see more training like this for the active shooter response with, uh, from the national level? Well, I'll just speak to the National Fire Academy and the model of the oh. National Fire Academy. The model of the National Fire Academy is we do training uh, specific to a, a skill set. But typically, you're coming here with that skill set already in place. We, we're not going to make you a firefighter one, we're going to make you better at something. Now, when I said about our state partners, we do have strong partnerships with our state training directors. And many states are using this training uh, that you're speaking of, they're including that in their state training delivery systems and pushing it out through their state models. As law enforcement, fire, EMS, you go into it, they, they break you up into the room so they actually have command, 
they have PIO work, they have dispatch work, they have, so it's yeah. a really, it's a really well put together course now, I'm killing it. We, we have something um, that we're working with here uh, through a group with science and technology, very similar, high-end, I don't want to call it a video game because that always puts the trainers sideways, but it's a, it's a high-end training module that is uh, video-based, and it focuses, this particular one focuses on active shooter. Um, you can be, you've got somebody that can be a shooter, and then you've got folks that are actually your emergency responders, police, fire, and you walk a person through. It's, you know, the, what comes to mind is, you know, like the video game Call of Duty. It, it's, it really, you're part of the scenario. So that you, and they, they, the city of Sacramento has it, and they've used it for their active shooter training. It really helps you hone your awareness for those type of incidents. I think we're talking about the same training. Probably. Teeks <laughs> has got a great program. A lot of what Teeks does, because of our partnership with Teeks, is they uh, use that as part of their state-approved program. And that means that you can take that class, that course at Teeks, and I'm not sure about this active shooter course, but you can take a course at Teeks, and it, if it's part of their state approval program, that you get NFA credit for that. And many of the NFA courses here are either recognized by colleges and universities, or you get um, continuing education credit for that. The Teeks is a, a very strong partner here at the NFA. Yes, and uh, the course that we just that I just took, um, you had to use your your FEMA identification number. So I'm sure that we're talking about the the, the same program. But program that, like I said, the programs like that I think exciting about it is the fact that we're integrating uh, both teams into the scenario, and it's not you're not in that silo any longer. You know, oh, it, absolutely. I recognized that uh, a while ago. I, like I mentioned earlier, you know, since we're talking specific about California program that was done through the California Joint Apprenticeship Council or Joint Apprenticeship Program, which uh, CalJAC, Fire Management, and Labor came together, developed a lot of training programs using the JAC as a model centered on active shooter online so that folks could get an awareness level and then it transitions to something a little more dynamic. One of the things I think is, is exciting about the active shooter training isn't necessarily because I mean, the, the idea of active shooter, it's a, it's a high impact, but low probability, you know, when it comes to our, our training every day, that a, a large fire is probably more probable to respond to than an active shooter. But that being said, I had an interview with Dr. Kelly Victory, um, who she's a nationally known um, expert on, on active shooters. Uh, she's done a lot of training. And one of the things she points out is that when you train together in something like this, that no matter what you respond to, that the idea of being together, training together, and breaking on the silos is better for, for all responses. Do you guys ag agree to that? Oh, yeah, I think to totally we agree on that. Absolutely. <laughs> A little focused on active, active shooter, but any incident. It could be not that any ac traffic accident or any fire is typical, but on any type of incident, you know, having strong relationships so that as any incident would escalate, you're prepared for that escalation. But absolutely, you've got to be sitting together. You've got to be talking to each other. You've got to be understanding each other's worlds. Yeah, and that ought to be integrated within all of your plans. Also, the different stakeholders that you coordinate with. Absolutely. 
And I always say that Orange County, the reason why we do such a good job of an emergency management and response is because we had the nuclear power plant just down the road from us. And we had to, by law, plan and respond and train for this. And we're graded every couple of years by, you know, by the federal government on what our response looks like. And I think that made everything else easy. You know, you get the large fire. We, we know this. We, we work together well together. Um, and I think that like, nationwide, with the concerns about the atmosphere, go back to that, is that now fire and police are forced to work together on, on responses. And, and, I, and again, that's going to make every other response, I don't want to use the word easy, but, uh, but easier than it would be if we're meeting together for the first time. So, Steve, with your programs, do you see a lot of cross-pollinization uh, between disciplines? Oh, yeah, I sure do, Todd. They, uh, I mean, we have, for a while, and FEMA used the term whole community to mean that we're working with public, private sector, all levels of government. And so if you come to a course at the Emergency Management Institute, you're, you're going to see a whole group of different career fields that come. So it's not just an emergency manager. And I like that. That provides us that cross-pollination that you're talking about. It certainly allows some networking to occur when you come to an EMI course or even if we're doing training out at the jurisdiction, what you'll find is that you know, the different levels of government come together, public and private sector come together, really helps in terms of planning and that. Chief, what are some of the challenges that you see facing, facing us here in the, in the near future? Resources, I think we chat, when we talk about challenges, resources, both personnel and our resources once we respond. If you think about the country as a whole, the majority of the country is made up of a volunteer workforce, a volunteer emergency services workforce, fire services standpoint. The fire service and that volunteer workforce is struggling. They don't have the recruitment retention numbers that they used to. And when a community is relying on a workforce that's dwindling, it's going to put more pressure on everyone else to step up. The environment's changing. You, know, you mentioned wildfire. Wildfire is not just a West Coast incident. Look at what happens in Florida. Uh, look what happened in Gatlinburg. I mean, if you look at maps showing 20 years out what the Mid-Atlantic will look like, we all have the potential. Look at Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas. We all have the potential for a catastrophic wildfire, and we have to make sure our resources are prepared for those type of events. Hurricanes, we're, we're starting hurricane right season, season again. Yep. I, I, thought we, we, I thought we were just done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to, you know, wildland and hurricane, there are no seasons. It uh, just happens all the time. So, you know, challenges are, it's gotten, a, I think it's gotten a lot more intense. And uh, we have to find ways of making sure that everybody is, you know, is appropriately tuned in. Is prepared. We, we, as the, the strategic, the FEMA strategic plan talks about is building a culture of preparedness. It's not just emergency responders. It's not just emergency managers that are preparing communities. It's those living in communities that are being prepared. I interviewed uh, David Ulrich from uh, one of the speakers at, um, at the prep talks. He talks about the zero responder. And I really like that. I like the idea. And, and that I'm starting to use that more often than zero responder because I always tell people, you know, as a first responder, you know, we get there really second, right? Because 95% of all rescues are done by 
the first person on scene, which is normally just the bystander. And so I like the idea of preparing that zero responder. Um, and I think that speaks right if you're just talking about Chief. Steve, I want to ask you the same question. What, what challenges do you see coming from the emergency management side? Yeah, so certainly I see that resources are always going to be a challenge. And so how we try and attack that challenge is what do we need to do to build national preparedness? Because certainly with a, a set amount of resources, if you're training folks that aren't contributing to national preparedness, well, then that's probably not the right student. And so we take on that challenge of resources by trying to fine tune and finding that right student who attends the right training so that I can have the right outcome, which means building national preparedness. And so just because someone wants to come to an Emergency Management Institute uh, training course doesn't mean that they're going to be the right student because uh, it's all about building preparedness. So I, I agree very much that it's resources. The challenge for us as uh, FEMA's training arm is, hey, make sure that you're training the right student so that you achieve that right outcome. This is kind of a global question, and either one of you guys can, can grab it. I know that the Red Cross has, for years, has, has focused on preparedness and preparing uh, communities. And then, obviously, we've, back in the late 80s, early 90s, CERT really has taken off, and you see CERT programs around the country uh, that, are, that are growing. How do we really impact the typical citizen of the United States into taking preparedness seriously? Part of it, I think, is to continue that community emergency response team training. EMI runs a CERT or the community emergency response team, train the trainer course as well as a program manager, because we recognize that individuals, families, and communities are part of building that culture of preparedness. So uh, I think we need to continue the investment along that path. And then you know, recognize that individual and family community preparedness, it doesn't come for free. A, the expectation that a family can have three, four, five days of supplies on hand may not be realistic. And so I'm seeing FEMA make effort towards financial literacy and partnering with other uh, Department of Commerce and other organizations to really focus on financial literacy as a function of preparedness. So I think those are two ways that we contribute. You have a take on that? What can we do uh, better to uh, get communities and individuals uh, prepared? Like, what can we do to, to really spread that word? Well, it's like anything. We're inundated with information constantly. And so we have to pick and choose what's important. So those that are relying on the community to be prepared, I think we need to be constantly driving the message home. Um, about capabilities. Uh, we, the fire service, talk about community risk reduction and making communities aware of what their risks are and what does that mean. And so, you know, something as simple in it, describing the 100-year flood. Where did the 100-year flood start and where am I in it, that definition of 100? 100 <laughs> years may have been 150 years ago. And so I think it's important for us that make the business of preparing people to constantly be in contact with those that we're relying on to be prepared. We need to continue the message. And, and really, that's the heavy lifting. The heavy lifting is constantly being in contact with our communities, making them aware of their risks and working collaboratively towards community risk reduction. 
Okay, so we're coming here. Really appreciate the time. But Chief, is there anything that you'd like to tell emergency managers before we, we, we move on to the hard question? Oh, absolutely. You know, every emergency manager belongs here at the NETC. You know, whether you want to take a course with EMI or you want to take a course at NFA, it needs to start here at the NETC. So I tell folks all the time, don't be afraid to sign up enroll early and often. We want to see you here at the NETC. Awesome. Steve, same question. Yeah, I like that. The, uh, you know, we say all disasters are locally executed. And so uh, that's why we're here for local emergency managers to come and get the training so they can better respond and recover at the local level. All right. And I know this is kind of, uh, most people are probably understand, but I'll ask the question anyway. If people want to get a hold of you guys to, to learn more about your programs, how could they find you? Yeah, I'd say uh, Chief Hoover and I are pretty active on LinkedIn. And so if you're trying to reach out to Steve Heidecker, uh, you know, I recommend LinkedIn for me. Absolutely. LinkedIn. Uh, I have a Twitter account. That's super NFA. Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I probably use my Twitter more than my Facebook. You don't want to see pictures of, of my daughter's dog. But also, don't ever hesitate to email us directly. Um, it's pretty simple. It's first.lastname at fema.dhs.gov. Um, so reach out. All right, here's the toughest question of the day. I'll start with Chief. What book or books do you recommend to people that are involved in emergency management and emergency response? Well, actually, right now I'm reading slash listening because I spent a lot of time in a car driving. So I bought a hard copy and I'm listening to a book called The Servant. And it's a simple story about the true essence of leadership. And it's by James Hunter. It is a story about leadership. And I think uh, it doesn't matter if you're in the fire side of emergency EMS or your uh, emergency manager. It's a good book about leadership and bringing folks to how to bring folks together and, and move things forward. The Servant by James Hunter. Awesome. Steve, can't take that one. Well, I have to say, this is my favorite question because I heard you ask Administrator Long. He said Raven Rock. Uh, yeah, you asked Dr. Kanuski, and he said uh, Unthinkable by Amanda Ripley. And, you know, based on those two uh, people, Todd, EMI's putting together a professional reading list. And so we thank you for that idea. We expect that to come out in the next couple months. But uh, the book that, that I highly recommend really is by General Stanley McChrystal. And I think that's one, Todd, that you've already read. Uh, it's Team of Teams. The thing I like about that book is he recognizes, okay, we have this typical military command strategy, but to be effective in today's environment, you know, whether it's in Iraq or to bring it home to responding or recovering to a disaster, you need to operate differently. You need to operate so that you have more efficiency. And you do that by what he calls shared consciousness and empowered execution. So when you, we talk about the emergency manager having to coordinate with everyone, I think the team of teams by General Stanley McChrystal will help someone as they're in that career field. Yeah, that's an excellent book, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, Steve and, and Chief, thank you guys so much for your time today. And I really would love to, to have you guys on again sometime. And uh, again, if there's anything else that you guys would like to say before I let you go? I yeah. do. I oh, have one last thing. And because we just came off of Memorial Day, and Steve mentioned, you know, 20 years military, I want to thank Steve for his service, not just then, but his continued service here at FEMA, and to everyone, past, present, and future, that is serving our country. Thank you. 
Oh, thanks. That's very nice. Hey, Todd, I would say that uh, local emergency managers should also know that EMI uh, and the National Fire Academy, we're not the only source of FEMA training. And so we've already talked about TEKS. They're part of the National Domestic Preparedness Consortium. Uh, and then there's the Center for Domestic Preparedness down in Anniston, Alabama. So FEMA really sponsors uh, quite a bit of training through those uh, training organizations. So all about achieving the right outcomes. You want to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Well, guys, thank you so much for your time.